What kind of candy are you guys giving out tonight? Uh, we have no candy. Um, Ooh. We are we are those people. We live in a in a big apartment building, and we can opt in or opt out of door knocking, and we have opted out this year. Well, we have opted out this year for the first time ever also. Uh, we actually have a kid out there trick-or-treating right now, which uh, is a surprise to me because said child did not trick-or-treat at age 11 or age 12, but is out there at age 13. So uh, more power to her. I'm super excited about her going out with her friends rather than going out through the neighborhood. I think that's kind of a rite of passage, isn't it, as a kid? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Do you think there were enough tricks or enough treats in this uh, regional rankings to do a whole podcast on? Oh, I think so. And we certainly have enough Twitter activity to keep us busy for a little bit as well. Football fans, it's now time for the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast. Here are your hosts, Pat Coleman and Keith McMillan. Wednesday's first set of regional rankings was a trick if you're a fan of St. Thomas or of Hardin-Simmons, a treat perhaps if you favor Linfield, Center, or Johns Hopkins. And with that, we welcome you to the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast, number 219 for October 31st of 2018. This is the one you can listen to while you're walking the kids around the neighborhood trick-or-treating, I guess if you're on the West Coast and going out really late, or between trips to the front door. Uh, I'm answering the door dressed as a podcaster with the headphones and the microphone and the mic stand. And if the doorbell rings during this recording session, well, I'll be asking today's guest host to take over for a couple minutes. Today, I'm joined by Greg Thomas. Greg, welcome aboard. Oh, uh, thanks for having me, Pat. And uh, this is where I say I'm your I'm the OOWP to your OWP. Greg has become our resident bracketology expert, uh, et cetera, et cetera. We are glad to have you on the podcast. I know that you and I have been on the same podcast uh, elsewhere, and I guess you have been on... Were you on the postseason podcast last year after the Stag Bowl? You know, sometimes these things all run together. Uh, yes, I think this is my uh, my second my second stop on around the nation, and and we've been uh, we've been elsewhere as well. Glad to have you aboard. This being your area of expertise, and being a night where uh, Keith is uh, working on the desk at the Washington Post, we're glad to have. Uh, you here to uh, kind of help uh, talk us through this uh, first set of regional rankings. And, uh, you know, we talked on uh, last week's midweek podcast, uh, Pod 216, if that's helpful to you, uh, about some of the basics and also some of the in-depth stuff about how it's put together. We chatted with Jim Catanzaro, the head coach at Lake Forest College, who is also the chair of the Division Three Football National Committee. This ranking is also a little bit different than each of the other ones. Each of the other ones. I mean, there's only two other ones, but uh, yes, because it does not include one of those five primary criteria because it does not include results against regionally ranked opponents. It's one of those chicken and egg scenarios. They don't, uh, it, it's hard to create a regional ranking and then have that regional ranking that you're creating be one of the criteria for ranking people in that regional ranking. So they go back and they will use this week's regional rankings next week when they go ahead and put that together. But that, of course, is just one of these pieces of the puzzle, Greg. Uh, yes. So I, I think uh, we'll very quickly uh, go through the regional ranking process and how the rankings come together. You talked about it um, with uh, Jim Catanzaro. Uh, last week in podcast 216, but for a quick refresher before we get really deep into the weeds, uh, this is basically how it works. 
uh, Division Three is broken up into four regions, East, West, North, and South. Each region has 10 representatives made up of some combination of athletic directors, conference commissioners, and head coaches. Uh, these people are called the Regional Advisory Committees. We will call them RACs for short. You'll hear that a lot. Each week, uh, these groups conference calls together. They discuss the top teams in their region, primarily through the lens of the NCAA's selection criteria. Uh, for a list of those criteria, you can reference the FAQs on d3football.com, or again, um, I will direct you to Podcast 216 with uh, the National National Selection Committee Chairman uh, Jim Catanzaro, where you know he's he's the head honcho and he walks you all the way through it. Where there is room for subjectivity or the eye test or whatever people want to call it, it usually comes from these discussions at the regional level, where coaches and ads and conference commissioners, conference commissioners who are more familiar with the teams that they're looking at can sort of look at the numbers and provide extra information about a team's particular strength or quality uh, that members of the national committee from other regions may not uh, may not have insight in into. At the end of all of these uh, conversations, the committee members vote. The end result of those votes are a one through ten ranking of the top teams in the respective regions, and they get published on Wednesdays, and today's was the first of those rankings. Yeah, so we are going to go through each of these region by region. We will run down each of those rankings, of course, for those of you who are listening and you know maybe driving or working out or something like that. You don't have a chance to uh, reference them on a screen while you are going through and listening. We will uh, read them off for you. We'll do that for you. We'll do you that one favor here on this podcast. And then we'll uh, kind of highlight uh, a few things to note in each of those specific regions. Uh, we also took a bunch of questions on Twitter on Wednesday, and we'll answer some of those as well when we come back from break. But I'd like to take this time to mention that the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast is currently sponsored by... Uh, uh, Greg, did you bring a sponsor? I forgot to ask. Um, no, I am sipping a delicious uh, carbonated beverage this evening, but I will not name it because sponsorship is not free. <laughs> that's that's true. Although I could I could certainly use a carbonated beverage, I'd be glad to have one of those. Our, our audience, full of decision makers in Division Three football, would probably love to have carbonated beverages or caffeinated beverages. Uh, coaches who need new equipment, so those are people who listen to this podcast as well. You know, who could uh, influence the decision to spend like seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars on a new set of turf. Those are the things that uh, you could get in front of your audience here uh, by sponsoring the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast. Greg and I would be waxing poetic about your product or your service right here as we're in break. So think about it and drop me an email at pat.coleman at d3sports.com. You know, it seems like every time we do another podcast, oddly enough, more people listen to it. You can reach those people with this podcast. All right, we're back here on the podcast. We're going to start with the East region. The East region includes... You know, the real 60-some Eastern, Easternmost schools in NCAA Division Three football. It also includes the NESCAC, the New England Small College Athletic Conference, does everybody else in Division Three football a favor by not taking a playoff bid. That's another bid that uh, would be taken away from Pool C because there's no room to expand beyond 32, and the NESCAC would definitely get an automatic bid if it chose to participate at this level. So thank you. Everybody should be thanking them. Running down the teams in the East Region, 1 to 10. 
We're going to start at the top with Brockport. Brockport is 8-0. and uh, All of those games are Division Three games. They have a strength of schedule of 5-0-3. Second is Frostburg State at 7-0 and with a 5-33 SOS. RPI is third at 7-0 with a 5-49. Then uh, Delaware Valley is fourth at 7-1 with a 4-64. Cortland is fifth, 7-1, 4-73. Salisbury is sixth at eight and zero, four thirty seven strength of schedule. However, Western Connecticut is seven and zero against uh, Division three teams which qualify, and a four eighty three strength of schedule. They also have a game against Dean College, which is a, a second year provisional team, and uh, you know, deep in the weeds here, that's a game that doesn't count in their Division three record. It would next year. Ranked eighth is Merchant Marine Academy. They're six and one with a six zero three SOS, and then it's a. Uh, Ithaca six and two in the nine spot with a five thirty four, and Western New England is seven and one with a four eighty one. And uh, you know, often Greg, this is a region where the committee really wants to shoehorn in as many of its potential automatic qualifiers as possible, and that's often why we would see a team such as some years Husson, some years Framingham State, this year Western New England in that ten spot. Yeah, and, and Western New England is occupying a, a 10 spot there in favor of uh, a team like uh, Baby Misericordia, who is 7-1 in the MAC, or MIT, who is 7-1, or Montclair State out of the uh, slightly more powerful uh, New Jersey Athletic Conference at 6-2 and two and, and a strong SOS. But as is uh, sort of an East, East region tradition, uh, they do. They do like to see as many of their conferences represented in these rankings as possible, or so it seems. And so you get Western New England uh, in there. Yeah, Montclair State versus uh, Ithaca is uh, certainly a question that could be raised. Uh, Montclair State is six and two with a five sixty five strength of schedule. Uh, their loss is uh, their losses are to uh, Frostburg State, which is the number two. But then they also have a loss to Salisbury. Montclair State uh, beat Salisbury seventeen to fifteen, and they they also beat Wesley uh, ten to nine last week. So those two losses are to number two and number six in the East. Ithaca, you know, they present fairly similarly, right? That their losses are to number one and number three. I guess that's the the tiebreaker, I guess, or the reason that they might be in rather than Montclair. It seems that way. Uh, it, those results against ranked opponents, even though maybe we're not counting results against ranked opponents this week. They're not results against ranked opponents as much as it is just head-to-head results with other teams in the poll, I guess, in this case. Yeah, and, and I think maybe you like Ithaca a little bit better than Montclair if you think that there's a, a gap between Brockport and Frostburg, which uh, maybe some committee members do. There may be a, a big gap between one and two as far as the committee is concerned. Uh, and Ithaca did, did play a tight game with Brockport. And then they also have the, the one-point loss to RPI, number three. So at the nine spot there, they are still e- – either way, those teams are – they're at-large teams, and they are staring up at uh, one or two other at-large teams in front of them at least. The Cortland and Salisbury ordering seems a little strange too, right? Uh, Salisbury, obviously, it's a very low strength of schedule, but they are unbeaten. Cortland has one loss and a, a better SOS, but it's still below 500. And they lost to someone who's not in the regional rankings with their loss to Alfred. That's one that kind of sticks out. It does. I was I was a little bit surprised today to see Salisbury uh, in the bottom half of, of these East rankings. And behind Cortland, who has nothing of note on their resume, a, a sub-500 
SOS, as you said, they have no wins against quality teams. Uh, the, the E8 this year is kind of uh, mediocre-ish record-wise, so not a lot stands out in the E8. And Corlin hasn't played Brockport yet. Uh, whereas Salisbury, they do have uh, a win over Montclair State, who who we just said is probably on the cusp of being in this top 10. And uh, and they are undefeated. And win percentage is, is certainly a primary criteria. The good thing for fans of Salisbury is, of course, these are not set in stone. These are the first rankings you know, Salisbury still has yet to play Wesley. They have yet to play Frostburg State, so they will not only have a chance to potentially play their way up in the uh, rankings if they beat Frostburg State, but at the very least, their strength of schedule will rise by playing those two teams down the stretch. That is correct, and they do, and they do get uh, a game against Wesley, which, if they win, gives them an intersecting data point with Delaware Valley. Uh, if they beat Wesley. Whereas Delaware Valley didn't, that may be reason to uh, shuffle Salisbury and Delaware Valley a little bit. So, um, you know, Wesley is an interesting intersection point in this little cluster of teams. And, uh, you know, there, there's certainly some more shuffling that can go on there. Yeah, Wesley's still having an impact on these rankings, even though they are now playing spoiler after having picked up three one-point losses here on the season. Moving on to the North region, we'll run them down for you. Starting at the top with Mount Union, they're eight and zero with a five thirty two SOS, and then it's Illinois Wesleyan at seven and one at a five seventy eight. John Carroll seven and one with a five twenty eight. Trine is unbeaten at eight and zero. They have a four seventy two strength of schedule. Uh, it's North Central seven and one with a five oh six. Baldwin Wallace seven and one with a four ninety one. Wabash seven and one with a four sixty nine. Wittenberg seven and one with a five oh six. Franklin seven and one. With a 415 and Eureka 8 and 0 with a 374. I, I noted on the website when we published these rankings here earlier today that there's been a lot of interplay between these teams, uh, but there's been some that's yet to happen. Uh, Illinois Wesleyan plays North Central yet. John Carroll plays Baldwin Wallace. So those games are coming up, and that can still throw some shuffling into this that hasn't happened yet. Uh, yes, it can. And. What's interesting to me off the bat in the North region is uh, Baldwin-Wallace, I think, slotted a little bit higher than I expected uh, that they would, uh, given that their only um, result against a ranked team was a 35-point loss to Mountain Union. But where they did slot Baldwin-Wallace ahead of the NCACs, and Wabash and Wittenberg are both possibly at-large teams. depending on how the NCAC's tiebreak shakes out, if it gets that far. But where they've slotted Baldwin-Wallace ahead of those teams sort of sets up Baldwin-Wallace and John Carroll to be uh, sort of a play-in game or at least a, uh, a game that will determine that first at-large team from the North region. Right, and that's a spot that you want to be in as a team. You know, once the season ends... You get a final set of regional rankings. Then you take out all the teams that are automatically in the field. And whoever is the top team in the East, top team in the North, top team in the South, top team in the West, like uh, Coach Catanzaro said in last week's podcast, those are the teams that go head-to-head against each other. You can't get in the field if you aren't even on the board. And only the top team in each uh, region is guaranteed to get on the board. So you want to be that top at-large team. How about what goes on when the Illinois Wesleyan plays North Central? What do you think about that? So Illinois Wesleyan and North Central, uh, Illinois Wesleyan is certainly in a position to solidify a number two 
a number two ranking in the North, which will probably go a long way toward getting them uh, multiple home games in the tournament if if they are able to advance that far. Sometimes Illinois Wesleyan stubs their toe a little bit in the in the tournament. Mm-hmm. Um, the loser of that game, I don't know exactly what happens to them. Would the loser of that game fall all the way back behind uh, the NCACs or uh, or even a, the John Carroll Baldwin Wallace loser? I don't know. And the way that the North Rack has been ranking teams last year and then a little bit in what we've seen today, they really they have a high affinity for win percentage. And that, that second loss, regardless of a lot of the good results that these teams do have, uh, that second loss may, may send them tumbling. So, um, you know, Illinois Wesley North Central may well be an at-large elimination game. We will know that game, of course, is this weekend, so we'll get to see another set of regional rankings next week that includes the result of that game before we go into Selection Sunday. And on Selection Sunday, or really on Saturday night, after the games are done on November 10th, uh, our crew will get together. We will do a full set of uh, all four regional rankings because you have to project out the regional rankings before you can even begin to start doing a mock selection, let alone a mock bracket. But we will do all of that and we'll publish a mock bracket sometime in the wee hours of Sunday morning. You will have all day on Sunday to uh, to digest those, debate those, complain about them because the selection announcement isn't until 6.30 p.m. Eastern time on the 11th of November. So plenty of time on uh, Sunday to do all the debating. Yell at us on Twitter if you like, but just know that we aren't the ones who ultimately make the decision. So if you go eight and two and don't win your automatic bid, don't blame us. That's not on us. Moving on to the South region. We start at the top with Mary Harden Baylor in the one spot. They're eight and zero with a four forty five strength of schedule. Barry, they've clinched an automatic bid and they are nine and zero with a five fifty four strength of schedule. Johns Hopkins is third at seven and one with a six thirty SOS. It's center at seven and one in the fourth spot with a five ninety eight. In the five spot is Harden Simmons. They're seven and one with a five seventy one strength of schedule. Muhlenberg seven and one with a five eighty three. Uh, that's in the sixth spot. Number seven is Randolph Macon. They're seven and one with a five fifty nine. Then at eight, it's Washington and Jefferson seven and one with a four ninety nine. Nine is Case Western Reserve seven and one with a four fifty two. And then in the ten spot is Thomas Moore. They are six and two. They have a five fifty five strength of schedule and uh, everybody has been talking about where center has been placed where Johns Hopkins has been placed compared to where Harden Simmons is placed in this ranking yeah that's I mean every, every year there's there's one that kind of stands out it seems and this year it's center and uh, you know not too long ago we were talking about center as a 10 and0 team and and on the bubble uh, because they were ranked behind uh, other one loss runners up in the south region. Uh, they did make it in that year eventually, but not through, you know, not automatically, not through Pool B. Like they had to go through several rounds of voting before they got in. Uh, this year, there we're seeing a lot of activity uh, on Twitter tonight about Center and Harden Simmons and where they're ranked. Uh, on the surface, I don't think we expected Harden Simmons to be ranked below Center, but uh, the numbers kind of bear that out. Center has a higher strength of schedule than Harden-Simmons. Center has a really narrow loss, overtime loss, to the region's number two team in Barrie. Uh, whereas Harden-Simmons, you know, kind of got 
wiped out a little bit by Mary Harden Baylor, not a full Mary Harden Baylor wipeout, but um, you know, that, that game was not in doubt for, for much of uh, the contest. Looking ahead at what's to come for center and Harden Simmons, Harden Simmons finishes with Bellhaven and McMurray, and those teams are going to be large strength of schedule drains. So Harden Simmons strength of schedule is at a high water mark. Center's strength of schedule is also at a high water mark. They'll finish with Suwanee and Birmingham Southern. Those are not going to help, but they're not going to hurt as much as uh, what Harden Simmons is going to get dinged by when they finish up their schedule. What you end up with is a scenario here where somebody on the South Region Committee is almost going to have to play the subjectivity card and really be persuasive in explaining why Harden Simmons could or should or ought to be ranked higher than center. And if that doesn't happen, because I don't think the primary criteria are going to favor Harden Simmons the rest of the way, you're going to wind up in a situation where Harden, where center and not Harden Simmons is the first team on the board in the South, and Harden Simmons, who we may have assumed was a lock to get in, is now very much on the bubble. The argument that you make for Harden Simmons is going to have to be thus, right? You know, center with a really strong result, although a loss against uh, against Barry. Um, but the question is, you know, even though Mary Harden Baylor and Barry are going to be side by side against each other in the South Region rankings, that doesn't mean that they are, you know, that that they are so close together that they're that it should be such a close comparison. I think the argument can be made and probably should be made on those calls that Mary Harden Baylor is so far above and beyond Barry that it makes a significant difference losing by 28 to Mary Harden Baylor uh, as opposed to losing in overtime at home to Barry. I think that I, I understand that on paper it doesn't look very good, but I don't think that that's that you can reduce that to just on paper. That's something where the rack is going to have to do some of this eye test or, you know, human uh, element that was, that's been talked about. Yeah. And I, I definitely agree with you, Pat, that Mary Harden Baylor is uh, head and shoulders above Barry and the rest of this region. Uh, Mary Harden Baylor is head and shoulders above most of everybody in the division, frankly. Um, so, you know, if if that order between Center and Harden Simmons is going to flip, it's going to have to come from those people on the rack saying, "Look, we've seen Harden Simmons play in the ASC; they're very good. Their results against other teams uh, play out a little bit better than maybe what we think Center could do." And uh, there, I believe there is a common opponent between Center and Harden Simmons. I believe they both played Trinity, Texas, this year. Um, the end result was similar. Um, so I don't know how much extra information you get or anything that may differentiate those teams anymore, but, um, but yeah, that's, that's going to be that pairing, that group right there is going to be something Cowboys fans and Colonels fans are, are going to want to watch closely over the next uh, 10 days. Yeah. We'll talk a little bit more about that common opponent when we uh, take our Twitter questions coming up in a few minutes. We've got uh, Case Western Reserve and W&J kind of anchoring the bottom here of the, of this ranking. Uh, you know, I think it would be different if W&J were unbeaten. Uh, I think that uh, Case Western wouldn't be buried so far because I think they're buried because W&J has the loss and W&J is kind of buried. That's how I see it as well. I think uh, it, there, there are a lot of really good at-large teams in this region. 
uh, center Harden Simmons, Muhlenberg, who I think a lot of people believe could be uh, very much in the Pool C conversation. And Case Western Reserve is another really good one-loss team. However, Case Western lost to W&J, who lost to an unranked team. And in this South region where there's so much quality, uh, Washington and Jefferson has been sort of shuffled to the back. And because of that head-to-head result, Case Western Reserve is kind of anchored to W&J. And if W&J was undefeated, maybe they would both wind up being ranked higher than, say, Muhlenberg. Uh, but as it is, Case Western is kind of anchored to W&J, and W&J lost a game which ripples all the way through these two pack teams. And we have at the bottom of this ranking, we have Thomas Moore. Thomas Moore, along with uh, everybody in the new Mac, are the members of Pool B. The way it works is there are 26 automatic bids set out for 26 conferences. That makes up Pool A. Anybody who's not in one of those 26 conferences also has a route to the playoffs. It's called. It's through Pool B. There is one bid set aside for those nine teams. And at the moment, the way we're looking at it in the first set of regional rankings, it would be basically a decision between Thomas Moore and Merchant Marine. Yes, and I, I thought if they voted on it right now, it would be an interesting conversation to see if uh, if you would get more support for Thomas Moore and their strength of well, their strength of schedule number actually is not as high as Merchant Marine, but I don't know that Tom, I don't know that we would say that Thomas Moore has played a lesser schedule than Merchant Marine. Uh, But Thomas Moore is not finished with their schedule. They still have to go to Collegeville in week 11 and they have to win that game. If they pick up a third loss, I think it's really, really hard to uh, justify Thomas Moore. Agreed. I, I think Thomas Moore, as much as anybody in a number 10 spot in a region has a chance to control their own destiny they do. They start this weekend with a, a game against Lake Erie. That's a Division Two squad, and then they do go up to St. John's, in the uh, who is number two in the West Region in Week Eleven. Uh, let's take a look at that West Region. We start at the top with uh, UW Whitewater. Now it's like deja vu all over again. Uh, they are number one in the region, seven and zero against uh, NCAA Division Three schools with a six eleven strength of schedule. They've clinched the automatic bid out of the WIAC. Following right behind is St. John's, 8-0 against Division Three. They've clinched the MIAC. They have an SOS of 600. Third in the West region is Whitworth. They're 7-0 with a 597 strength of schedule. At number four is Bethel, 7-1 with a 564. Linfield is 5-1. They also have an out-of-division loss, and they have a 577 strength of schedule against Division Three opponents. St. Thomas is a sixth at 6-1 six with a 493 SOS. I should note, it doesn't note it here on the site, but I'll fix that. They have an out-of-division win. Uh, number seven is Monmouth. They are 7-1 overall against Division Three. 513 strength of schedule. At eight is Oshkosh. They're 4-2. They have both a win and a loss against non-Division Three schools, a 591 strength of schedule against D3 opponents. Number nine is Simpson. They're 6-2 with a 561 SOS. And then uh, UW Lacrosse is in the 10th spot, 5-2 and two with an out-of-division loss in addition, uh, 602 strength of schedule. I know there's lots of things to talk about in this uh, West Regional. I'm the most, not, not the most interesting, but I was kind of surprised to see three WIAC teams, especially Lacrosse here at essentially 5-3, and three, although 5-2 and two in D3. Yeah, I was a little surprised to see um, all three of these WIAC teams in the rankings as well. Uh, Oshkosh and Lacrosse, in particular, they have an extra uh, out of division loss, and 
Uh, Linfield also is carrying an out-of-division loss, and the West Rack doesn't seem to mind, really. Um, Those teams all have uh, really big strength of schedule numbers, uh, which supports their inclusion in the rankings, but at the same time, I mean, they have Oshkosh and Lacrosse have lost three games, uh, even if one of them is out of division. So if there's if there is some way to not justify, but if you can understand it a little bit, the the bottom of that West ranking gets a little uh, congested with teams that are all kind of iffy. You you know you've got a lot of ARC teams at six and two. You could have St. Norbert, perhaps, maybe uh, Claremont Mud Scripps. There's a lot of really iffy resumes down there. So if you're taking a vote and and people are looking at these really big strength of schedule numbers, even with the extra loss, the extra out-of-division loss, versus Dubuque or Central or, or somebody like that who doesn't quite have the same strength of schedule number, I can see how you might end up with two Y-axis in there, but we'll see if it lasts. Um, we'll see if those teams stay in there and stay ranked as the as the ARC sorts itself out, as uh, maybe Claremont Mud Scripps gets to gets to the clubhouse with eight wins, or I mean, who knows? Maybe maybe we'll throw Martin Luther a bone. <laughs> That's not impossible, right? I mean, Eureka is ranked in the Eureka is ranked in the north, so who knows? That's potentially not impossible. Let's go back up to the top of this regional for a second. This is one where, of course, a lot of uh, anticipation. Probably the only one of the four where there wasn't a clear number one coming into this, you know, this ranking, this decision. And uh, the first blush, the first look at it, has uh, Whitewater ahead of St. John's. It does, and I have to believe that this was a pretty close call for the rack. Uh, the vote had to be really close here. Both teams are undefeated. Both teams have uh, really nice wins uh, inside their region. St. John's has beaten St. Thomas and Bethel, who are both ranked uh, four and six, respectively. Uh, Whitewater has beaten Oshkosh and Lacrosse who are ranked 8 and 10, respectively. They have very similar strength of schedule. Whitewater has a small .011 advantage there. But the reason, the reason why that number one seed is interesting and important is because this is probably where your fourth number one overall seed is going to come from. So how those strength of schedule numbers uh, shift over the next couple of weeks and whether or not St. John's and Whitewater flip-flop uh, could very well determine who who goes where in or who you know who who's a top seed in in a region. Uh, definitely, I would say not surprised to see St. Thomas below Bethel at this point in the conversation because and they play each other in Week 11, so the the winner can uh, can kind of assume their own destiny as well. But to see Linfield in between them, I think, is a little bit of a surprise. I I know you've already said that this committee, at least this week doesn't seem to care about out-of-division results, but uh, I'm kind of surprised by this one nonetheless. I am too. Uh, if, if because Linfield's results have been very un-Linfield, Aside, you know, not just losing to Whitworth and sort of being out of the, out of the pool A bid and not winning the NWC this year, uh, probably. Whitworth hasn't quite clinched. But Linfield's results have been very un-Linfield, as it were. So they haven't played or looked like a top five or four West region team like they have in the past. I I think the way that the 
uh, rankings are set up right now is I, I think it's set up that the winner of Bethel St. Thomas will, will end up ahead of Linfield at the end of week 11. So Linfield is probably still going to be the second team in line for the at-large conversation from the West. But as far as teams wondering where they might show up and what, you know, looking for good news or bad news, I don't know that anybody other than maybe center got better news today than Linfield. I think this is best case scenario for, for the Wildcats. Now's the time on Sprockets where we dance. Now is the time on the podcast where we go to Twitter. We had a handful of questions. We've kind of talked through one of them, but uh, there was one piece of the South region conversation that uh, we wanted to hold on to just for a second so that we could uh, answer it here with uh, Jay Hoff edits tweet. J H O F E D I T Z Jay Hoff edits. Maybe could be, I don't know. Anyway, he says any thoughts on the South number eight, and that's our ranking number eight overall HSU ranked fifth in the region behind three teams. It's ranked higher than nationally, mostly center where the two teams are likely to be conference runner up and have a common opponent in Trinity. Harden Simmons won by nine in San Antonio while center one by five at home. And I will use this opportunity, of course, to say that, uh, you know, our top 25 ranking as much as we love it. And we think that it's a really good uh, demonstration of how teams will perform in the postseason. It is not the measure of how teams will get to the postseason. The NCAA regional committee has its own criteria and its own opinion. So just setting that aside for a moment, I am not sure that I think the committee is going to see a difference between Harden Simmons beating Trinity by nine on the road and center winning by five at home it's not I feel like when we're going to try to parse a common opponent like this it's a wash unless we're talking about one team winning by multiple scores and the other not and I know nine is technically multiple scores but I'm thinking more like you know eight is 17 to 21 points or something like that yeah I agree I don't I don't think that there's enough I don't think there's enough information or separation in that common opponent result with Trinity uh, there to override center's strength of schedule advantage. I don't think that's a missed data point is what I'm saying. I, it, I'm sure that uh, the committee is aware of that and ended up with this ranking with center four and Harden Simmons five. And if, if there's going to be a flip-flop on those two, the, the argument is going to have to be from somewhere other than the Trinity game. Next question is from Logan Hansen at Loghan Ratings, or Loghan Ratings, I guess, if you're thinking about how to pronounce it. Uh, do you think the NCAA's mock rankings midseason do more to standardize priorities across regions or give racks practice building a narrative around teams they fall in love with early? <laughs> this is a super loaded question. Thank you for that. I think that it definitely does something to standardize priorities across regions. I don't know that the racks practice building narratives we haven't found them necessarily very good at building narratives in the last 10 years or so so i don't know if the practice if there is practice i'm not sure how much it's helping i'm really just glad logan didn't ask me anything about math it was my understanding that there would be no math you know i think that the uh the committee is a little more interested in narrative this year it doesn't come from the racks or the regional advisory committee i think that you know the fact that we have a national chair who is willing to talk to people and willing to answer questions provides something that actually resembles a narrative where in the past it has just been like well that's what the data showed and i'm like that's not what the data showed me could you tell me more about what the data showed you and we then haven't gotten an answer to that so um i'm glad to have a little bit of narrative I just don't think it comes from the rack, and I don't think the mock rankings have a have an impact on that. Honestly, I think that we have seen actually more, to be honest with you, in the past, we've seen teams that start off really high in the rankings and then have 
the opposite of a back-loaded schedule, a front-loaded schedule, I guess, where their SOS drops then in the last couple weeks, and they drop, you know? I think that, I don't think that... Uh, the the rack uh, the racks are necessarily in love with the teams that they start off with in this first public ranking and I have no idea of course about the mock ranking because we don't get to see it I should have asked for a copy of the mock ranking that would have been fun I would just say that uh, I know uh, Coach Catanzaro talked about um, giving feedback from the mock rankings to sort of uh, get all of the racks sort thinking similarly about the, about being criteria focused and driven, but even with that, those racks are definitely not uh, applying the criteria the same way. Different different regions are clearly emphasizing different parts of the primary criteria to different degrees. So you know that's it's it's a collaboration of ten people in each of these in each of these rankings. So I don't I don't think that they all get together and rig their vote in a way that helps one team or another. Yeah, I think if they do anything like that, what they do is they may rig their region to try to get their region to have more teams in the playoffs. But I think that's kind of what you want a regional advisory committee to do anyway. Next tweet comes from Alex Nesvisky at AL underscore NEZ saying, I see center at number four in the South and Case Western Reserve at number nine. Granted, these two teams' conferences are stacked up very similarly, and with each team's only loss coming to the conference leader, is SOS the only factor for such a disparity in the two teams' rankings? Hashtag D3FB. Thanks, Alex. Appreciate that. Um, we've kind of talked about this, uh, Greg, but uh, why don't you give us your take on that again? This is actually a really good example of uh, what we were talking about earlier with Washington Jefferson having lost a game and sort of dragging Case Western down the rankings with them. Um, I could envision a scenario where if W&J were sitting at 8-0 or 9-0 and Barry had lost a game to, say, Millsaps, uh, which almost happened, uh, you might see Barry down at 6 or 7 and center then necessarily down below them. So those those scenarios could be reversed completely. Uh, Alex did mention strength of schedule, which we touched on also. Uh, Case Western Reserve, their strength of schedule is really, really bad for this point in the season. Their, the rank is 195 out of 240. So, you know, Case Western Reserve, they, they play that UAA game with Rochester every year. And I know it's important to them, but it does not help when it comes to at-large time. Yeah, and the difference in the uh, the decimal number is a, a 598 strength of schedule for center and a 452 strength of schedule for Case Western Reserve. So uh, it could it would be just fine, in all honesty, if, if SOS were the only factor. Because it is literally 146 points apart, which is a huge difference. Another tweet from Frank Rossi at Frank Rossi. I, Frank really wanted to co-host this podcast too, perhaps. I don't know, but he wanted to say, uh, in Wally Wabash's opinion, that's, that's by the way, that's Greg's uh, Twitter handle. It's also his message board handle. So he asks, did the East Regional Advisory Committee need to include Ithaca and exclude Montclair in order to justify Brockport as the number one East team over Frostburg? The strength of schedules and the regional results, res- results against regionally ranked opponents scenarios play out interestingly presently. So I don't think so. I think you can look at Brockport's results overall uh, throughout the year. I mean, they're, for the most part, really hammering teams. I know they stubbed their toe a little bit and had a 
kind of a blog game against uh, Utica, I think. Yeah. Uh, but for the most part, they are crushing teams. And I mean, they have, we're eight games into the season and Brockport has given up almost uh, minus 160 rush yards, which is ludicrous. Um, Frostburg is, you know, Frostburg has a slight SOS advantage. I don't, if they added Montclair and took Ithaca out, then Brockport would not have a win against a ranked team and Frostburg would. Mm, you know, I don't know if that is enough to supplant Brockport, who has been uh, by and large dominant this year and is coming off a semifinal year also. Let's not forget. No, I think I think Brockport clearly number one in the East. And I don't I don't know that there's a lot of funny business going on with Brockport having been placed one because Ithaca was was ranked nine. I don't I don't think Ithaca being ranked or not uh, mattered. Yeah, I think especially this week in which, you know, regionally ranked opponents aren't even really being accounted for in these rankings. That certainly says something. One other criteria with criterion which only exists in football, which we haven't mentioned, is that when you're looking at teams that are essentially tied uh, and are uh, and are unbeaten, you are allowed to use the previous year their playoff performance in order to help separate that tie. So last year, for example, as you mentioned, Greg, Brockport went to the national semifinals. Frostburg went to the quarterfinals, and that would be a legitimate way to use the criteria to keep Brockport above Frostburg, regardless of whether Ithaca is ranked or not, and regardless of whether we're using regionally ranked opponents, which we're not doing this week. How much do you think will change when we uh, when the committee plugs in results against regionally ranked opponents next week? Oh, I was just going to say, here's a Twitter question from Matt Wally Wabash. What do you think is going to happen when we talk about regional opponents? <laughs> uh, if there's one place where I think that that, the one obvious place to me where that comes into play is maybe with Wheaton. Uh, Wheaton is not listed this week, uh, but Wheaton is going to have two regionally ranked wins. Uh, not just wins, but really impressive wins, a 32-7 to win against Monmouth, who's ranked in the West region, and a 52-30 to 30 win against North Central, who's ranked fifth in the North region. And Wheaton has, this week anyway, the number one strength of schedule in the country. Wheaton is a team that when you give them proper credit for those regionally ranked wins, um, and they also have two, uh, they also have uh, pro- one regionally ranked loss, uh, to Illinois Wesleyan, when when you give them credit for all of that stuff with their strength of schedule, I kind of think Wheaton belongs somewhere in the bottom third of the North Top Ten. Yeah, that makes sense. I'm not sure that I see anything else necessarily. I think that in a lot of cases, some of this stuff is already baked in because games that take place within the same region are already accounted for in terms of head-to-head results and that sort of thing. It's really the cross-region games like you just described between Monmouth in the West and Wheaton in the North that uh, aren't that are kind of that kind of fall through the cracks this week when we don't have a previous previous regional ranking to reference. Correct. Um, the, I, and then looking ahead to regionally ranked opponents, I think I think the other places where it might come in is when teams that are sort of floating just off of the bottom of these top ten might slide in uh, next week or at the end or at, after the week eleven game. So. A team like Maryville that lost to Barry and Center. Maryville slipping into the top 10 in the South could give Center or Barry a boost in terms of seeding and selection. 
Montclair State is one, uh, as Frank mentioned, that could help some teams out if they got in. So I'm looking. I don't see a lot of places in these rankings where not counting ranked opponents uh, helps or hurts anybody. But going forward, teams that move in and out of the rankings uh, can really impact how we view uh, other teams that are ranked. Because as we know, it's not once ranked, always ranked. <laughs> oh, yes. We're going to get way in the weeds if we start getting into once ranked, always ranked. Uh, <laughs> to find out the definition of once ranked, always ranked, you'll have to uh, come back some other time. Because <laughs> we could go... It's a separate podcast. <laughs> it's almost an entire separate podcast. The next D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast is on Friday. It'll be game day for week 10. Keith will be back, and he and I will go through all the big games and the like. Plus, we'll talk with Hanover coach Matt Theobald. His team is hoping to beat Rose Holman and Franklin to end the season and snag a share of the HCAC title, and here's a little bit of that conversation. We were fortunate. We got on a five-game win streak, and, and we knew our kind of our last uh, really three games of the year were going to be very, very tough with Mount St. Joe and Rose Holman and, uh, and Franklin, and it, we've, got, we've got two more grinders coming up, uh, teams that we haven't beat since we've been here at, uh, at Hanover. And, um, you know, our guys are, are really buying into kind of what we're teaching here and rebuilding the culture at Hanover. You know, I, I played here in the nineties, uh, when we were kind of rolling, I played for Wayne Perry and, uh, just trying to bring back some of that tradition and pride. And, uh, and part of that is going out and winning big games and putting yourself in a, in an opportunity to, to play for a conference championship, which we haven't had that in a long, long time here at Hanover. You can catch the full interview with Matthew Theobald on our podcast on Friday. One more item of note before we wrap up. I'd like to invite you to uh, visit the d3football.com homepage. You can see a couple of the feature articles that have been written on the website this week. Uh, we briefly mentioned Martin Luther here in the course of this conversation. Joe Sager had a, uh, a longer conversation with them and did a feature on uh, the Knights and how they are building this program back up from a, a program that was 0-10 just a few short years ago. Uh, also, Brian Lester checked in with Whitworth. The folks on the West Coast in Spokane, Washington are uh, on the verge of clinching the Northwest Conference Championship and automatic bid. And we check in with them as well. So keep an eye out for those pieces on the website. And this was D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast number 219, released on October 31st, 2018. Thanks for listening and keep an eye on the rest of our coverage throughout the week. If you like our podcast, please consider rating it in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or, you know, the places where you get your podcasts, because that will help other football fans find it. It'll raise it in the rankings in whatever nebulous algorithm is uh, being used by said provider. You can also leave comments for us on the blog page. And the executive producer of the Around the Nation podcast is Pat Coleman. Production assistance provided by Dave McHugh. Our theme music is by DJ Mentos, whom you can find at djmentos.com. Thanks to guest co-host Greg Thomas for his time on this edition of our show. And, of course, thanks to the creator of Around the Nation on d3football.com, Keith McMillan. You can reach us to talk more about Division Three football on Twitter using the D3FB hashtag. I'm at D3Football on Twitter, and Keith is at Wally Wallbash. Keith is at D3Keith. You have a... We have a message board devoted to Division Three sports. Did you know? Join the conversation by registering a post at d3boards.com using a legitimate email address, please. And you can follow d3football.com on Facebook. I think we got to the end. Oh, we made it? I think so. All right. Thank you. Thank you so much, everybody.